Sally Wigan likes him, and so should you. Adam, I think I think having millennials on the radio is awesome. I don't hate you. God. Adam Crowley. My dog listens to you when I walk <laughs> out the door. On ESPN Pittsburgh. You found the Crowley Show, where your mom listens, and you should too. 412-922-2874 is the number to call, where you can join the cast of dozens and follow me on Twitter, at underscore Adam Crowley. Tell your kids, tell your wife, we're doing radio up in here. No Brian LaMartina today. He's on sabbatical. Shirtless Tom behind the glass. Check him out on Twitter, at buttonpusher970. We are a mere one day away from college football. We are a mere three days away from Pitt, Penn State, and West Virginia opening their seasons. Fairly high expectations for all three. Pitt's over-under on the season is five and a half in terms of wins and losses. So the outside public, the outside perception is that that team's not going to be very good, but inside the building at the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex... On the south side, they're drinking their own Kool-Aid. Pat Narduzzi thinks they're going to be an ACC championship contender. Kenny Pickett, the quarterback, thinks that they're going to be a 10-win football team at the very least. So there are high expectations for all three programs. I'm jammed. I can't flip and wait. What is it that makes college ball so compelling? Is it because you've got the tie to the university, to the institution? For me, it's having spent the four years, well, five years of my life where I grew up, became a man at West Virginia University, and it's a nostalgic kind of feeling. Anytime there's a crisp, cool air and you're walking to the stadium or there's crisp, cool air and you're going to watch the game on TV, it kind of reminds me of back in the day. How many natural lights can I put down? I think there's a huge nostalgia factor when it comes to college football. And the tradition is unlike any other sport we've got in this country. Yeah, the Steelers are a franchise built on tradition. The Packers are a franchise built on tradition. But in college football, there's the tradition and there's the pageantry. And it's bigger and brighter and more flamboyant. And it's just outstanding. You dot the I at Ohio State. You run down onto the field and you pet that stupid-ass rock at Clemson. You've got Death Valley at night. You've got the Penn State whiteout, the different environments. College football is the bee's knees. And I know that this isn't the biggest college football town, so I'm not going to spend the entire show talking about it. I will spend the next 10 or so minutes, though, discussing the sport that I love and hold so near and dear because not a lot of it does get talked about enough around town. It's one of the most popular sports, maybe the second most popular sport in the country behind the National Football League. It deserves time on my show. What makes it so compelling, though, is that the different teams have different goals. I think collegiate sports are amazing in that way. If the Steelers don't win the Super Bowl, they're going to see the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex get burned to the ground. That is their goal. Their stated goal is, let's win the Super Bowl, let's beat New England, let's march our way to wherever the hell they're playing the Super Bowl this year and let's bring back the Lombardi trope. The Patriots, same thing. All the teams that consider themselves contenders are trying to win the Super Bowl, which is the national championship. In college ball, you just got to be realistic. 
my team, West Virginia, they've talked all offseason long, not about winning the national championship. They talked about winning the Big 12. We want to win the Big 12. We want to send these seniors out after having won the championship, and their championship is the Big 12. Now, if they get farther than that, that's great. But that's the goal that they set out for themselves. Pat Narduzzi, his goal is let's go to the ACC championship game. Let's win our division. Penn State, they won the Big Ten a couple of years ago, and that was great. If Ohio State wins the Big Ten and doesn't go to the playoff, that's a down year for them. If Alabama wins the SEC and doesn't win the national championship, that's a down year for them. Although, I'd imagine that for Georgia, even though they do lose the national championship, they're happy that they took the next step last year and they wind up winning the SEC. That's one of the things that's fascinating to me about college athletics and more so on the point college football. College football, every team has different objections, more realistic objections, things that they can shoot for. And then you use it as a stepping stone to go even further if you can, but every team has different goals. Rivalries change the complexion of a season. Tennessee was 4-8 and eight last year, and they ran the coach out of town. If they're 4-8 and eight and beat Alabama, I'm guessing that they feel a little bit better about their season this year. If LSU beats Alabama, they're feeling really good about their season. If Michigan State goes 9-3, and three, beats Michigan and Ohio State, even if they don't win the division, they would. But even if they don't, it's a good year, right? Iowa getting to the Big Ten Championship game. That's a good year for Iowa. I think that fan bases all want different things. And when you've got different fan bases cheering for different things, that keeps it all interesting. That keeps every team engaged. Like when I watch Iowa play Penn State last year, you're rooting for the upset, and that's another part of it too, the upsets, the rankings. What does Iowa really have to gain? I mean, are they gonna win the they gonna win the division? They're gonna win the conference? No. They're gonna go to the national championship? No. But you knock off Penn State, there's 85,000 people there going berserk. There's the Children's Hospital sitting right there atop the stadium. And they're all rooting just to beat Penn State because that makes their year. Every fan base is rooting for that moment where they can be relevant nationally just, just for a glimmer. Just for a second. And it's gosh damn awesome. Because when you think about it, there's there's not parity. We always talk about parity. Parity is huge. Keep teams interested. Well, college football keeps teams interested because there are different goals. But in terms of the national championship, there's not much parity. Think about the playoffs we've seen so far. Ohio State, Oregon, Alabama, Florida State. Then it was Clemson, Oklahoma, Alabama, Michigan State. Different from year one and year two. But then it's Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, Washington, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Oklahoma. And this year it's going to be... Probably one of six teams. Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Oklahoma, maybe Washington, maybe Auburn, maybe Ohio State. So eight teams, realistically, that you think are really fighting for a chance to play for a national championship, even though there's this quote-unquote expanded playoff. But yeah, we still love it. Why is that, Tom? Why is it? Why do you love college ball? Well, the thing that attracts me to college ball the most is kind of like the effort attitude that the style of play itself takes on. And I know it's this is a little hard to follow, but in the NFL, it is professional. I mean, there's huddles. You know, they're milking the play clock. They're running between the tackles. The quarterback is hardly ever running unless the play blows up. 
But in college, I know it's cliche, but it's like we're in the schoolyard, man. Yeah. Like, like it's just running so gun true. up and down the field. And it's a Saturday, so I think your vibe overall is just different when oh, you're yeah. watching the game. Because Sunday, it's 1 o'clock in the afternoon, so you're a little down. And it's like, yes, I'm entertained by this. This is great. This is quality sport. Oh, but professional on, football. Exactly. But on Saturday, it's like, oh, baby, like. They're throwing 80-yard bombs down the field. Oh, my God, this wide receiver's running in jet motion. The other one's coming in jet motion. Like, they're handing it off. The halfback's throwing a pass. It's insane. There's players that play defense that are playing offense and affecting the game on both sides of the ball, scoring touchdowns and making sacks like Miles Jack did at UCLA. Or like Paris Ford's going to do a lot this year. Oh, I mean, I'm just saying, it's, it's that schoolyard attitude that it kind of takes on when you're watching college football. I love it. Yeah, I think that's true. And you didn't say it. But you kind of said it. They're different styles, too. In the NFL, you've got teams running different schemes. Yeah, this one's a 4-3 team. This one's a 3-5 team. Uh, 3-4 team, pardon me. Uh, I was, I, I got a little, got a little, was a little false start there. I'm like, that was a legal procedure. In college ball, TCU's going to run a 4-2-5 this year. West Virginia's going to run a 3-3-5. So you're going to see weird stuff on defense. On offense, imagine if Oklahoma played Stanford. Uh, just think about how that looks optically. If Oklahoma played Michigan, how that looks optically. It's cool. You can pick and choose what kind of football you want to watch. If you want to watch a slugfest on a Saturday afternoon, watch Ohio State-Michigan. If you want to watch a shootout, how's Bedlam for you? Aptly named. Oklahoma State-Oklahoma. Ball flying all over the schoolyard. You can pick and choose what kind of style of ball you want to watch. And it's outstanding. Tom, how many real contenders are there this year? We were talking about this off the air yesterday for college football. I think you can break it down like this. I'll break it down conference-wise. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. Tom is a very opinionated young man. And it doesn't come through all the time on the show because he's doing a bunch of other things. A thousand different other things. Brian, obviously opinionated old man. But he's on sabbatical today. That's why I could take that shot at him. So if I go conference by conference, Big Ten, I'm going Ohio State, the Michigan, the Penn State, Wisconsin. Not Wisconsin. Get out of here. Not Wisconsin. Wisconsin. No. What do you mean? Uh, come on. It's Wisconsin. We it's do Paul this Chris, song and man. dance He's a great every single year. They'll run the table. They'll go undefeated. And then they'll lose miserably in the Big Ten championship game. See, it's every year. See, it's I, every year. I think this is a different Wisconsin That's what you. That's what they say every single I year. I didn't think that last year. You didn't think that last year, but a million other people They've did. They've got all five of their offensive yeah. linemen coming back. They had a 2,000-yard rusher last year who's That's coming just back. It, though, with their Wisconsin. quarterback's coming back. All they do is run the ball extremely well. And, and play, play great damn defense. good defense. But other than that, they, they, they always fall short. What do you mean other than that? They always fall short. Okay. They're frauds. They're n- all right, so that's four from the eight. That's four from the three eight. from the Big Ten. That's four from the Big Ten. Did I say Michigan State? You shouldn't have. You didn't, and you shouldn't have. Oh man, they, they no. They could be a player. No, they, they, they're bringing their quarterback back, and I, a lot of people think he might be the first Big Ten quarterback to get drafted in the first round since 1995. And Kerry Collins. I know people say this a lot, but just looking at it in front of my face right now, the difference between the East and the West in the Big Ten is astronomical. Well, just, it's unbelievable. Just wait for Nebraska to get going with Scott but Frost. But still, though. even then, it's still so lopsided. Kirk Ferentz is the greatest coach in the history of football. So, I think you're wrong there. So, we got five teams from the Big Ten. That's way too many. I'll go four. I'll eliminate Sparty. 
and Wisconsin. I'm not eliminating Wisconsin. You say they only play defense and run the football. It's kind of important. All right, all right. Quarterback's also right, coming so back. We'll, we'll meet in the middle. We'll keep Wisconsin. We'll eliminate Penn State. That's fair. Their offensive line is going to be good this year, too, they're saying. And they got some wide receivers. They got some dudes. All right, so that's Big Ten. Big Ten. Big Ten will agree to discrete. SEC, two teams. Three. Georgia. Auburn. I'm forgetting one. Just I can't remember. Alabama. Yeah, I tend to agree there. I don't think Mississippi State's going to be as good as people think they are. I mean, they might be good. They're not going to be a playoff contender. LSU's not. I'll give you a team. LSU's going to win week one, though. They're going to beat Miami. Miami It's at home. It's at night. I'll give you a team out of the SEC that's going to, that classic team that kind of sneaks up to like number nine, number eight, and then just falls off the face of the earth. Florida. Yes. Florida starts out. Their toughest game is, I think, in week six. They play at Mississippi State. They'll beat them. Then they play home against LSU. They'll beat them. Their toughest game doesn't come until like week nine against Georgia. They'll totally be like number eight, number seven at that point, and then Georgia <laughs> will beat them by like fifty points. And Mullen's a good coach. He is. Who they brought over from Mississippi State, and he left a good team behind. Morehead will take over them, and they should be pretty good. So that's what we got in the SEC. Big Twelve. I'll say Oklahoma. That's it. Really, and they're kind of a stretch in my mind. They have a bunch of returning skill position players, and almost their whole defense comes back. Even though it wasn't a great defense, obviously last year. They're going to be better just because they've been in the scheme for an extra year. I, I think they could. I don't think they will, but I think that they could. you got to kind of watch out for West Virginia, in all seriousness. You do. If if things fall right for them, that they they could definitely make the run. Uh, Texas, I think, is a year away still. I, I think they'll be good, but they're still not they got, national championship. Yeah, they got dudes. West Virginia would need a lot of breaks, but, hey, stranger things have happened. But I won't put them in there just because I don't want to be called a homer. Al, then... Go to the Pac-12, where I say I think there's a couple. We we got we got into a big one on about this the other day. I think Stanford's gonna be really good. They got nine players that are supposed to get drafted in the first three rounds. See, Stanford's that team that that's a bunch of talent. They bro. always beat like they'll beat Washington, they'll beat USC, but then they'll lose to Utah or something stupid. They'll like still that. wind up being ten and two exactly, and their losses will be to Utah and Arizona. Just yeah. stupid losses. But but they'll they'll they're giant killers. They'll beat with Washington or a top ten team. If Washington wins the Auburn game, they've got a really good chance to make the playoff. If they don't, then they're done because the schedule in the Pac twelve isn't going to be all that great. No, and I'm looking right now. They don't have to play USC in the regular season, so that's a big break. ACC. It's just Clemson with an outside shot at Florida State. We'll talk more about this later on because I, I, I'm I'm diving in. I, I'm diving headfirst into college football right now. I'm diving headfirst into Will Greer. Got this tweet from Michael Truitt. The other thing about college football is the genuine excitement amongst the players that is infectious and just makes it all the more fun to watch as fans. I I'm I'm curious to ask this question. I don't know how people feel about this. Do you love watching the crowd? I love watching crowds go berserk. You know what I hate about SEC crowds though. How the real. men wear those ah, stupid polos. suits and polos to the games. Wear a jersey or go shirtless like a real man. Yeah, I don't like that. It's disgusting. I don't like Who that do they either. they think they are? Oh, we're at a sporting event, a football game. We better put on our best clothes. No, it's dumb. Penn State's student section of whiteout, it's so much fun to watch. It's terrifying. You watch the LSU crowd at night, it's terrifying. I made a trip to Death Valley for a West Virginia night game against LSU, and it was, the people were great. When Clemson's running down that hill, 
Well, that's the other Death Valley. Oh, my God. It's insane. I was Who's, talking about LSU. Has anybody beaten Clemson at Death Valley recently? It couldn't. It can't be that many teams. It was Miami's first loss last year. I don't remember that one either. I don't know. Did they beat anybody in 2007? I'll give you that one. Coming up next, back to the Stillers. From college ball to pro ball, Craig Wolfley joins us to talk about preseason game number four, James Conner, and more. It's the Crowley Show. Sports talk with a little bit of an edge. Can you feel the tension in the air right now? I know I can. I can feel it all the way down in my plums. The Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Ben Roethlisberger said the other day that James Conner has deserved reps even when Le'Veon Bell comes back. I'm down with that for the first couple of games until Bell gets his sea legs. After that, I want to run Bell into the ground. Joining us now to discuss that and much more is one of my favorite people, one of my favorite guests, Craig Wolfley from the Steelers Radio Network, of course, former Steeler. Wolf, long time since we've chatted on the air, buddy. How are you? Hey, it's It's been a while, Brother Adam. Yes, it has, my friend. So how are you? I am fine. Doing very well. Doing okay. Uh, we used to do Tunchless Tuesdays back in the day, and now it's a uh, Tunchless Wednesday for like 15 minutes. How's that sound? Well, it's it's, it's even a, a whole week full of uh, uh, Tunchless, uh, uh, you know, for you, my brother. You got yourself a great show, and you're doing great. Appreciate that, buddy. Uh, Wolf, there's some stuff Jerry Jones has been saying about the league moving to an 18-game schedule uh, in the future. Uh, before we get to any of that, though, Ben Roethlisberger said the other day that James Conner deserves carries when Le'Veon Bell comes back. How do you feel about that? Well, uh, you know, I, you you deserve as as you're needed. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> that's really about it. Yes, he's he's earned the right. He's he deserves all the, those things are good. But if Le'Veon Bell comes back and on the first play from scrimmage against Cleveland he goes yard, um, <laughs> is anybody going to sit there and go, James, come on, it's your turn now? Other than Le'Veon, who might be a little tight. Um, you know, the fact is, um, Le'Veon is still that back. He's that guy. Now, having said all that, I am not at all worried about putting James in and had James having some, um, you know, some carries, touches on that first game. Look, last, uh, was it last year in the opener? Led what rushed 10 for 32 and 3 for 15 on the receptions. Uh, you know, if, if James has to come on and take a, a greater share, that's that's fine by me. Look, you know, I, I love what James has done, and I think he's come a long, long ways. Um, but Le'Veon, Lev Bell is still Lev Bell, so while you got him, you got to use him. But I will also say this. I'm not near as concerned about how what kind of shape he is in now as I was last year because uh, I think James really represents a great alternative to Lev. One of the things people have been saying about Le'Veon Bell is that the yards per carry weren't great last year, and he wasn't as efficient as he's been in the past in terms of racking up yards, and that he doesn't necessarily make the big play, that 30-yard run the way that maybe you'd like to see. How important is that really, though? I, I think you're going to affect games still and be a big reason why you win, even if you're not breaking off a 30-yard run every game. Well, there's no question that he's still effective. Yeah, his, his average yards rushing per carry dip to four, and uh, I think his longest run was like 27 yards, something of that nature. Some of this could be also the fact that, you know, defenses are a little more hip to trying to 
you know, picket fence him, whatever terminology you want to use, not firing into gaps so fast to, uh, uh, to be able to get your rundown fits is, is with other backs. Those types of things might be part of the, the equation too. Look, all I know is this cat still came out and then, uh, what was it? His fourth game rushed for 144 yards in his fifth game. Though he didn't look like the, the dude that, uh, we all love to see out there in the fourth game and the fifth game against Kansas City. He rocked it and, and he was Lev Bell. And so, um, the fact is he's still capable of flipping the field in a, in a very extraordinary way. Now, is it diminishing? See, that's the hard part. You're Kevin Colbert. You're Mike Tomlin. You got to look and see this 400 carries, another 400 carry season, you know, might, might be all that that body is able to carry. I don't know. You know, those types of things are made by people with a whole lot more RPMs up in their noggin than me. <laughs> but the fact is, you know, this guy is still dangerous. You know that if you don't, wrap up if you don't have a whole posse coming out to tackle them and everybody getting in on it that you've got issues if you don't the first guy doesn't bring him down so you know he's still a dangerous threat regardless he's not quite the home run threat that he once was he's still very dangerous and flipping the field you all know the voice he's craig wolfley joining us here on the crowley show I feel a lot better about James Conner now than i did last year and that's not to say he didn't do some nice things last year before he got hurt do you think he could eventually be a guy who could get the majority of carries in this league, Craig? There's no question. I think he can be a uh, you know a premier back in the sense of uh, he can be a starter. Um, you know, the, not not all starters. Randy Feetner said it best. Not everybody's capable of doing the things that Lev does so uniquely. So, I mean, the guy is a talent. He is unique the way he does things um you look at the you know i've said it before uh lev bell did for the running game what dick fosbury did for the high jump you know the fosbury flop he was the first guy to go over backwards over the high jump bar and lev with his unique running capability of playing peekaboo and hopscotch on the way to the hole uh that's it's so different than what was taught i mean my day chuck no i can hear it still ringing in my head don't slow down when you hit the hole you know <laughs> But, uh, you know, for James Conner, he is that, that guy that could have played with Chuck Knoll. He is that guy who would have played and excelled in the trapping game. He's a guy in this outside zone running scheme that can use that to his advantage. He's got strength. He can run over people. He's shown that he's got the zig and the zag, as Myron Cope used to say. And he's got a pretty good stiff arm as well. He's in great condition. So, yeah, I think he can be uh, a starter, no question. Wolf, the Steelers' swing tackle now is Chooks Okorafor after it having been uh, Chris Hubbard last year, a veteran uh, who did a very nice job. What have you seen out of Chooks? Do you think he can be up to that task this year? Uh, Chooks is, he's, you know, he is the proverbial um, potter's clay. You know, I mean, he is, he's being molded in the way Mike Munchak loves to mold guys. He does such a great job of teaching them the individual skills that you need, then adding them to the toolkit and putting out a premier offensive lineman at some point. Now, having said all that, Chooks has got some great feet. He's got some great strength. And, you know, we've got the, there's, there's a couple of Ilkin rules. And one of the Ilkin rules that we came up with uh, was rule number two. And that is if you can win a one-on-one against a good player, and do that without any technique whatsoever, you got a chance to be a player. And that's one of the things he does. You know, you see him in one-on-one drills. Um, there's not really a whole lot of recognizable great technique involved. But at the end of the rush, he's usually standing and doing a pretty good job against the guy. 
So that's what we've seen from Chooks. He's an athlete. He's big. He's strong. And I look to what he's going to do in the future. Having said all that, the bringing in the Man Mountain Zach Banner um, has been very interesting. You know, Zach has got his weight under control, and uh, he came out. And, and last week, I got to tell you, there were some Tennessee Titans that got driven into the ground like a stake peg in, in a circus. You know, putting up the tents. Gad Zooks, I'm telling you, he um, he did a, uh, a snogulation on a guy who did a fine job of finishing him off with the coup de gras. When you, you and back in the day, when you finished off a guy, you threw him down, and then you drilled him, you gored him. It was a way of letting them know, hey, look, it, I'm here all day, and this is the way it's going to be. And Zach did that. And, uh, you know, this guy, Zach Banner, may be an answer, and you may see eight and nine, uh, nine linemen staying in, in, after, in the 53. Craig Wolfley joining us here on the Crowley Show. What's the fourth preseason game mean now? What does it mean for this club? Who are some players who... You're looking to watch tomorrow to see if they might be able to snag one of the final roster spots or even a practice squad spot. Well, there's no question. Everybody, and the first thing you got to remember is everybody is putting out um, a resume. You know, if you're not here in Pittsburgh, you could be there, say, in Cleveland or there in Dallas or there in San Francisco because you, what you do tomorrow night is not only going to be viewed by uh, the Pittsburgh coaches, but everybody else in the league, because you never know when that opportunity is going to arise. So there's people that are, you know, they're, they're looking out there, you know. I mean, a guy, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of um, some of the guys that I think you, you got to look at. And, and you look at, um, oh, let's get Damon Patterson. That's mm. what I was trying to figure out. Damon Patterson flashed early in the preseason. We, you know, you see a little bit less each week, and you, you look and you go, ah, you know, he, he looks like he's got something. He, he likes to be blocks, runs good pass patterns, but I don't know. And then you hear Mike Tomlin talk about putting on a film in 2000, uh, 2010 of Antonio Brown as a gunner in the fourth preseason game. You know, those are the type of things, jobs are won or lost. Two or three are going to be won or lost tomorrow night. A guy like Marcus Allen, okay, the safety, he's... Things are stacked against them. There's there's been some good stuff going on, uh, you know, with the safeties and getting some good work done. He's not really had the opportunity because of injuries to be able to show what he can do. So those are some guys that you look at and you go, now what, what, what's going to happen with them? You don't know. You know, can you get a guy through? Uh, you got yourself in running backs. You got Lev Bell coming in. I'm sure. Uh, hopefully, he's coming in Labor Day. You never know. Uh, Right now, it seems to be raging back and forth. Right, <laughs> uh, but you got the James, you got Rosie Nix. I thought Fitz Toussaint has uh, looked so very good throughout camp, and all of a sudden, Jalen Samuels comes up and has a uh, pretty good game against Tennessee. Now, I would think Jalen's got to be one of those guys that you've got to duplicate that effort, and then something good might happen. But if you don't, well, then then that could be a little tough. You know, Josh Dobbs, we've heard the four quarterbacks, and more often do you keep two quarterbacks than four? Yeah, you got you. But Josh, Josh Dobbs has done a, a fine job in, in, in preseason. And what's going to happen with him? So you've just got a host of guys that you think, well, you know, maybe this guy can flash. How about Ola O'Day? Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? You look at the Keon Adams. They, these guys... But they're very unique. Ola is one of those unique guys. You think if you could get him on a James Harrison-like weightlifting program, 
and uh, stash him on the you know on, on the practice squad for a couple of years, you might have a you know a, another mini James Harrison. So um, there, there's some guys that you know you got to look at. Matt Thomas, he needs another big big game coming up, but he had a big game against Tennessee. So he he's one of those guys you think uh, you know you'd like to see him duplicate the effort from last week. Wolf, last thing for you, it's a two-parter. Jerry Jones says he wants to see the NFL go to 18 games. Obviously, there's a lot of money reasons why there. Right. He also says he'd like to see the preseason get reduced to two games. Some have said that they'd like to see the preseason get reduced to zero. What do you think about both those things? Um, you know, the preseason, look, you've you got to have a, a chance for guys to show what they can do. You know, I mean... I, it's really tough because, you know, with, with the lack of training camp time, the lack of two-a-days, I mean, guys like Jerry Osavsky, Jerry Jerry made the Steelers because he was a tough son of a pup who showed up twice a day every day and, and went to work, and when others were falling, he was standing at the end of the day. And and those type of guys, they, they don't have that chance near as much. Um, you know, I, I think I, I'm a believer in preseason for young guys, that's their, that's some of those guys, that's where those guys shine. That's where they grow. Now, if you want to reduce it to two or, or, or three games, I get it. But adding two more regular season games, you know, everybody says, well, you, you take away two preseason and then you add two onto the regular season. I, I know I flunked math twice, but where does that save reps on your body? Right. It doesn't. You know, absolutely not. Uh, it's, <laughs> you know, so you got, you're going to have to take me through that one real slow and show me that one. Because I, I don't get it. And so, for me, I think you've got to at least retain a couple weeks of preseason so that you have that opportunity as a young guy to, number one, show what you can do, and number two, in the second year, when the second year jump comes around, if you're not able to show it in two weeks, wow. You know what I mean? That's a limited time to show that you've made that jump, so to speak. So it, it gets tougher for the young guys. Wolf, really appreciate the time, man, as always. Thanks a lot for coming on. Always a pleasure, brother. You take care. Take care, buddy. There he goes. That's Craig Wolfley. You can catch him 10 until noon every day with Tunchilkin in the locker room here on ESPN Pittsburgh. Coming up next, Bernard Clark, the head coach of the Robert Morris University Colonials football team, played for the University of Miami, won the MVP in 1988 in the Orange Bowl. we got a lot to talk to with him, about with him. Coming up next, it's the Crowley Show. He came here to do three things. Drink beer, talk sports, and drink some more beer. That's what I do. I drink and I know things. Adam Crowley on ESPN Pittsburgh. We've got the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined coming up in a few minutes here on the Crowley Show right now. We're pleased to be joined by the head coach of the Robert Morris University Colonials football team. He is Bernard Clark, Jr. Coach, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. How are things going uh, first year now on the job? Uh been eight months, so a year's not up yet. <laughs> but it's going pretty good. I mean, we're just trying to get the guys to understand the, uh, the abilities they have and what they have to do to change the culture and get a winning mindset. What would your philosophy be if you had to describe it? My philosophy more than anything else is I'm using football as a tool to try to create better men, better husbands, and better fathers. I want these guys to understand they're going to have a life after football. I'm trying to help them grow that life after football. I'm using football as a way because I tell these young men all the time, football 
helped me mold my life and some of the things I've done throughout the world. So those are some of the things they can do, you know, because everyone knows that football doesn't build a character. It reveals character. So that's the great thing about it. Bernard Clark, Jr., joining us here on the Crowley Show, head coach of Robert Morris University. From an on-the-field standpoint, um, how are you? How excited are you to get things underway, and uh, what are you looking forward to most? What do you think your strengths and weaknesses are this year? I'm very excited. There's no doubt about it. I'm kind of on pins and needles last yeah. Saturday. I couldn't sleep. I woke up probably about 4.30 in the morning, which is crazy, uh, a week before the game. But the good thing about it, what I'm trying to get out of it more than anything else, I want to make sure we're competing. Uh, we're competing on the field. We're very disciplined on the field and doing the things that are necessary to help us win a football game. But competing and showing up and making sure that we're working all phases of the game, that special teams, offense, and defense is extremely important to us. Dayton first up on the schedule for you guys. Uh, what are you looking for in terms of matchups? Well, the, the thing about Dayton is Dayton is a very disciplined team, a very tough team, and they play with real hard nose. And unfortunately, the record right now is seventeen and three, with Dayton leading the way. With Dayton leading the way, so uh, what we're looking for is a tough team that's going to be very competitive on the field. We're just hoping that we are just as competitive as they are. So you played for the University of Miami back in the heyday, and right. we were we were just looking at. Uh, some of the players that were around the program at the time, obviously the coaches that were around the program at the time. Who's the baddest dude that you played with? Was it you? Were you the baddest guy, Bernard? Uh, the baddest dude I played with was Jerome Brown, hands down, no holes barred. Jerome Brown was the most unbelievable athlete I've ever seen in nose tackle. I mean, sometimes it took literally four people to block Jerome, and he still got to the quarterback. He was the baddest dude I ever played with. How much respect do you garner from your players with everything that you've gone through as a player and as a coach? I think when you first get into the room, it helps you get into the room or anything else. The fact that you were able to play this game at the highest level and able to compete at the highest level, I think you get that. But until they know that you care about them, until they know that you have their back, I don't think they're really uh, going to play hard for you. And that's the thing I try to prove more than anything else, the fact that I care about them as men and not just as football players. So you made 14 tackles in the 1988 Orange Bowl. Uh, what, did you just wake up angry that morning? How's that go down? <laughs> Well, the great thing about it is is what I'm trying to teach these guys and the thing we're trying to instill in these guys is it has to be next man up. That was a situation where, unfortunately, the middle linebacker was starting in front of me. He, he wasn't able to play in the national championship game, and it gave me an opportunity, and it helped me understand that it's not about recruiting. It's about reloading, and it was the next man up, and I just wanted to show the coaches and my teammates that I had their backs no matter what. You ever pop that tape on for the guys? I haven't popped that tape on, no. I haven't put that one on. I got, <laughs> I put that one in the archives. That was old. I'm 51 now. Those things don't matter anymore. Not even to you. Not even at home. Maybe uh, you got a cold one in your hand. Well, the, you know what? The great thing about it is we got YouTube, so I can pull up all my games <laughs> on YouTube now. <laughs> Bernard Clark Jr. joining us here on the Crowley Show, head coach of the RMU Colonials football team. Uh, have the coaches with the other programs at, at RMU, Derek Schooley, those guys, ha has it been a welcoming environment for you in your first eight months? Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. It's been very welcoming. The AD, the president, uh, all the coaches, you know, they've come over and congratulated me. It's, the thing about it is I think Dr. Howard says the best uh, about Robert Morris. It's big enough to matter but small enough to care. And everyone cares about each other. And everybody wants to see everyone succeed. Coach, really appreciate the time. Best of luck on Saturday against Dayton. And, Looking forward to doing this every week with you. Sounds good to me. Thank you very much. Take care. There he goes. Bernard Clark, Jr., head coach of the Robert Morris University Colonials. I wouldn't want to mess with him back in a day. I, I popped those highlights up on YouTube. University of Miami middle linebacker. That that ring a bell. Any good middle linebackers play at the University of Miami? Ray Lewis, maybe just a little bit. Eh, some dudes. 
And I didn't want to ask him all about the University of Miami. I wanted to ask him some Robert Morris University questions. As we move through the season, I'm going to get some nuggets from him, though, on on those teams and what it was like. Because those were the bad boys. I mean, it's Catholics versus convicts, baby. I mean, those were some bad dudes on those teams. I don't mean that as in bad guys. Eh, just some dudes playing football. A way that football hadn't really been played. Just with an aggressiveness, a brashness, confidence, cockiness. I mean, they were going to beat you, and they were going to tell you about it. I mean, just badass. The University of Miami football teams, there was a couple of decades where they were outstanding. I think some of my favorite college football teams of all time. If you have a chance to watch some of the 30 for 30s on ESPN, the things that those teams did, the teams that they beat, the way that they beat them, yeah, pretty doggone special. Tom, what time is it, man? And now it's time for the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun. Brought to you by To Be Determined. Woo! Got this tweet. From Brian Hopkins. Couldn't find it there for a second. I had that trouble the first time. I Never mind. How is a guy like Matthew Thomas going to make the team if there's no preseason? Don't want 18 either. It'll just water it down too much. Plus, you take a bigger risk of losing a star player. Just think how many more ACL injuries you'd have then. I think if you go 18, you'd have to have two buys, which is frustrating, although it's player safety. As for the preseason thing, I'm... Half and half along with Tim Benz and the way it is now. Uh, I think you have two preseason games. And if I were a head coach in the NFL, I would allow one half of one preseason game to be my dress rehearsal. And the rest of it, guys, go after it. Uh, There's this understanding that the third preseason game is the one where it's going to be the dress rehearsal. If you're Mike Tom and you call up your dudes, you call up the Bill Belichick's of the world, you call up the... You Jacksons of the world, and you say, what game are you doing it for? Whatever team you're playing, how are you doing it? And you make it work that way, and then I do think that you'd have some scrimmages among teams. It's not perfect, but if you're looking at player safety, I think the best case scenario, my for, the best thing for football, if you take money out of the equation, for me, two preseason games and 14 regular season games. Now, it's never shrinking in terms of the regular season, so... If I'm being realistic in an ideal world, then I'd go 16 games with two preseason games. That's what I'm looking for. Because if you bring it down to, if you put it up to 18, it it dilutes the product. It just does. Not every game matters as much. Now, it's not quite Pirates-Reds in the middle of May, but Steelers-Bengals in September... You lose the opener. Steelers Browns even. You lose the opener on September 9th. If there's 17 games after, you can pull yourself together. You can figure it out. You'd also, I think, have to expand rosters. So that that could be a way where if players don't want to play the extra two because of player safety and they don't want to see preseason get eliminated if they are a bubble guy, if you expand the rosters... If you allow the practice squad to be active and then you add another practice squad, something along those lines, well, then I think maybe you could convince players to do it. I'm kind of thinking out loud here. But we know the reason the owners want to do it is because of money. 
Which is why when Jerry Jones says, I think it's actually safer to play 18 games than it is 16 games. Don't try to sell me up Bleeps Creek. Don't try to tell me that it's about player safety when it's not. It's about the green. Let's figure out the best way to do it then. And let's find a way to get the players to agree to it if you want to make it all about the green. Sam Darnold will be the starting quarterback for the J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. Woo! As Teddy Bridgewater was traded to the Saints, he's a free agent after this year, and the price that the Saints had to pay to acquire him, pretty big deal. Third-round pick, which means, I think, we are seeing a succession plan in New Orleans. I don't think it's about the Saints wanting a high-end backup. You're not giving up a third-round pick to get a high-end backup. Unless Drew Brees' ankle just exploded this morning, that ain't going to be the case. And if it was the case, they'd probably get something more than a third-round pick for him, give up something more, because the leverage would then be gone. So I think that we're going to see the Saints spend a lot of money on Teddy Bridgewater this offseason to make him their next guy after Drew Brees. It doesn't make sense to give up something that big otherwise. Aaron Rodgers is the highest-paid quarterback in all of football. $100 million deal, $33 million a season, all $100 million guaranteed. Holy hell, what's this mean for the Steelers? Ben Roethlisberger is currently the 12th highest paid quarterback in the league. He's roughly the same age as Aaron Rodgers, just a couple years older. I think people forget that. They drafted the year after Ben was was Aaron Rodgers. What's it mean Ben's deal is going to be? 30 mil? 25 mil? 28 mil? At any rate, the Steelers are going to be paying a pretty penny for their quarterback next year if Ben Roethlisberger doesn't ride off into the sunset after this year. That's the great unsponsored football segment brought to you by To Be Determined. Filled with knowledge and fun. Woo! Coming up next. People are getting on me still about my James Conner take. I will tear them down one by one. And James Harrison had an interesting take. Read stupid on Le'Veon Bell and what he should do in the 2018 season. Plus, we're giving away Steelers tickets. That's all to come on the Crowley Show, ESPN Pittsburgh.